Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer. For years to come, try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I'm your host, Misha Globerman. Uh, If you're wondering if there might be mature language in this podcast, yes. Yes, there might be. Um, Trampoline Hall is a lecture series that takes place in a bar in Toronto, sometimes in other cities. People lecture on all kinds of topics. Some of them are really serious. Some of them are ridiculous. um, Some of them are really smart. Some of them are kind of all over the place. But the one rule is that they uh, cannot lecture on subjects on which they are professionally expert. That's just, that's our thing. Um, After each lecture, there's a question and answer period uh, with the audience. The Q&As at Trampling Hall are are really great. Um, And part of it is, uh, as I've talked about before, I think, because we spend a lot of time um, just instructing the audience on how to ask good questions. Um, And so one thing I sometimes say to people is there's a bunch of stuff we say about how to look at the question. But then I also tell people um, to look not at the question, but but look at themselves and see. um, I ask people to say, "What, what feeling do you have when you feel your question coming on? Maybe you feel a curiosity, or as we call it, the question feeling. That's often a really good sign. If you feel curious, that's often a sign you have a good question. Um, Even if you have anger, if you're feeling a little bit angry before uh, your question, that can be fine too. And and we encourage people in the audience to, you know, if they want to work out something that's difficult, we really not to shy away from that. The feeling that I ask people to watch out for is pride. Um, If as you feel your question coming on, you find yourself thinking, you know, up until this point in my life, I have not been accorded the respect that I deserve, but things are really going to turn around for me with this question. And, and I say, you know, just just pay attention to your mental image. Like, picture yourself asking the question, are you mysteriously enormous and made of gold? Uh, because if so, that is a sign that you might have a bad question. And as I tell people, your bad questions are welcome. Your good questions, simply more so. Anyhow, that's enough about uh, the questions and about the show. Let's get on to uh, this episode's lecturer. The topic is Steering Toward Queerness, and the lecturer is Fan Wu. Thank you, Misha. Let me go back to one night this past summer, a deadly season in which self-obliteration ate through self-care like battery acid. I was bloated on the bliss of stimulants, and my fibrous mind spread into filaments, started to feel just like the Sibelius Park spiderweb playscape I was hanging upon. (laughs) Across the sandpit, my desire traversed a distance to land upon someone I had recently met, who had a perverse and playful heart, a vast catalogue of entrancing gestures, a boy whose nervous limbs lacked resolution and darted back and forth to improvise what words could not say. As I knew him then, 
He was the kind of boy who was easy to get along with, who loved to feel that he belonged, who, who used his charm to clear the way for you to stage your best version of yourself. Desire whispered so quietly that my ear could not hear it. Ain't he just your type? <laughs> if we follow this high to its natural conclusion, I woke up beside a new friend, unslept from the night before, teeth chattering from artificial elation. With the morning light throbbing weakly through my little Portugal basement dwelling, he told me in a half-delirious confession that it was his first time messing around with another boy, that his urge had been there for many years, running down invisibly the side of his heterosexuality, but also countering himself anxiously. He told me that he didn't have the same deep lust for guys as for girls. The contradictions of desire were all pushed to the surface, with the libido's will to be free, to be a free force, clashing against the tensions of an expected masculinity, sedimented from an early age. Now the last thing I want to do today is to paint myself as either an unimpeachable Adonis, turning s <laughs> which as you can see I'm not, um, <laughs> uh, turning straight boys into perfect queer specimens by sheer force of attraction. Not that, uh, nor a vengeful vigilante out to spray gay serum onto straights to show them how it truly feels to be on the outskirts of normativity. I had, I had no such intentions, um, and I had no expertise in this kind of affair either. Rather, the boy from Sibelius Park, uh, let's call him Gene for now, to honor Gene Sibelius, um, he, he felt something fisher in his identity. He had been going through a difficult time, had recently lost a family member to alcoholism, and was afraid of losing himself to the same addiction. Drinking had become fraught with contradiction. It was both his primary means of escape from his sadness, but it also poisoned him with the guilt of knowing he was following in his father's fallow footsteps. In conversations under more sober circumstances, the slow movement into his identification with queerness coincided with an avowed self-reconstruction of someone who no longer wanted to be that lost boy, who wanted to grow out of manic patterns of self-indulgence. Queerness, at this point, was nothing so radical as a disavowal of heterosexuality, or a change in lifestyle, or some healing potion with a cure-all effect. It was, rather modestly, a starting place, a movement of release, where the energy of potential gave relief by making once impossible territories not only possible, but navigable for the future. In fact, it did not matter if he never slept with a boy again. His encounter within a queer event diffused some of the tension between inherited regulations and repressed desire. Jean is now a good friend of mine, and the encounter threw me into thinking about a few fundamental questions on his behalf and on my own. What is it that goes under the notoriously slippery name of queerness? And what is its particular potency? My own first experience of queerness was not so much coming out of, but exploding out of the closet while it was still under construction. Um, uh, I, I remember hearing uh, Nirvana's song, All Apologies, and taking that one lyric, everyone is gay, extremely literally. Um, so, <laughs> very formative experience. So I said to myself, Oh, if everyone has already realized that they're gay, at least on some days or in some ways, 
then I'm fully free to express myself however I want and thus contribute to this paradise world where everyone is already a variation on gayness. So I, accordingly, I felt deeply fearless and flamboyant. But it wasn't the flamboyance of drag shows and sequins so much as the death drive flamboyance of William Burroughs and Dennis Cooper, um, full, of, full of flailing rectums, uh, morality-free punk violence, um, and transcendent experiences of jouissance, all sealed away under the sign of fantasy. This isn't to say that masculinity had no hold on me. As an overeager iconoclast, I hysterically fled to whatever I thought was the opposite of the masculine position. High school was a lot of fun. Um, but suffice to say, I had never had much of an experience of being closeted. I, I was fumbling about making proto-queer statements as this gob of primordial adolescent sludge ever since sexuality came into play. But this event at Sibelius Park helped, me propel, helped propel me into thinking about how queerness holds an exceptional status as an identity marker or a non-identity marker. It is, or I should say I want badly for it to be, the site of a boundless intimacy between everyday life, politics, ethics, and aesthetics. The title of my talk, Steering Toward Queerness, refers not only to gently guiding someone into this space of queerness, it also refers to the ever-incomplete task of being queer, which should be thought of also as an actively becoming queer, reorienting your own rhythms and directions in the face of a volatile world and shifting self. I want queerness to be a kind of unstable guiding principle, resonant with anyone who's born the heft of difference. Far beyond the realms of sexuality from which it arose, I was to think about how queerness could be, could be, for, could be for John, for Jean, and my, for myself, the chaotic center at the core of life. So here I want to offer three ways of thinking about queerness, inspired by Sibelius Park as the germination ground for this load of speculation. Um, pun entirely intentional. And I would love to hear your, your contributions afterward. First, queerness is a mystical experience of the singularity of the other person. It is the demand of love to attend to the person who stands before you, to attend to what in them is irreplaceable and firmly non-generalizable. Queer attraction is the attempt to see attraction beyond qualities of any human being, to encounter the unqualifiable, unspeakable space that is theirs and theirs alone. As such an encounter with the overwhelming uniqueness of another person, queerness points to an essential counterpart, an obscure obverse of what we call intersectionality and identity politics, something I would tentatively title identity poetics, where we pause in calling our friends by categories and titles, under the signs of whiteness, thinness, gayness, all words with which precede our friends, and allow our friends and lovers to make our language for us, whether this means reinventing prior language or propulsively alchemizing new language. This will be much more than verbal language. It will be our behaviors, our habits. Queering ourselves and others will push us into this slipstream of mutability. Sometimes this language is no language at all. It is silence. And I tried to give Jean this silence, the silence of rapt attention, when he woke beside another boy for the first time, both of us overtaken by the scorching newness of it all. Here, queerness founds ethics and politics by asking us ceaselessly what we do with another person beside us. Queerness is also, perhaps, 
the awareness of the dissonant and invigorating difference between fantasy and reality, between horizons of desire and desire's realization, between the will to act and the act itself. It is never about mending the gap between the, these two things, because fantasy and reality both depend on their separation for their richness. Rather, it is about making a kind of wary peace with this gap. In Jean, I, thought the imp I saw the impact of compulsory heterosexuality on his psyche and self-conception. He wore straightness impeccably on his body most of the time, but sometimes you could see that it was an ill-fitting garment, and a little winged fairy would fly out from the fabric <laughs> to betray a hidden identity. Heterosexuality, as a kind of suit, carried with it a masculine code of gender, uh, of gender behaviors. The two are thickly intertwined. And he told me that letting his manliness slip was at the same time a failure of his libido machismo. For him, queerness allowed the self-image of the perfect man, which, as an intrusive ideal hammered in by parental and social norms, so contradicted his own fantastic self-image it allowed this to slacken and expand into a more liberating portrait of the self. Here, queerness is not only an aesthetic gesture, how, as self-estranged entities, we represent ourselves to ourselves in our strangeness, but a way of getting the better of everyday life, which is that intractable, but not unchangeable, rift between messy identity and messier world. And finally, by way of conclusion, perhaps queerness is the tender initiation of another person into queerness. An initiation which is not the hierarchized education of an enlightened queer upon a straight troglodyte, but the mutual yet asymmetric changing of two beings toward each other. And perhaps what I have said of queerness comes across a, a little bit utopic. I can't help it. The word with all its intimations of strangeness, its bizarro built-in relationship to potentiality, and its embrace of aberration, are all there. I owe it to Jean Sibelius, without whose park I would never have had this experience, um, and, and to Jean himself, uh, for teaching me once again that intimacy with queerness, in thought as in body, could be erotic and so fruitful. Thank you. Fan woo, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, the Q&A. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Are there any questions? Yes, you, ma'am. Uh, I, I honestly feel like I'm taking a few steps back from your argument, but in the current political 
how do you feel about like very straight-esque heterosexuals who would identify as queer? How do you feel about straight heterosexuals who identify as queer? So heterosexuals who take queerness as a label. I, I don't see it as a contradiction um, uh, between the two terms, heterosexuality yeah. and queerness. I noticed that in your definition. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, there was nothing in there where you had to have sex with people of the same sex in your definition. That was not... Yeah, it's, it's a more kind of a background mentality than it is a sexual identification. Wait, I have a better question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Keep trying. Is, is there a way that anybody could co-opt and dilute definition of queer. Is there a way that anyone could co-opt or dilute your definition of queer? Is there anyone you don't want in your in your in your <laughs> queer club? Um <laughs> that, I'm sorry, I've I've translated your question. Yeah. I don't know if that's bad. That's uh, well, they would have to talk to me first uh, in order to, <laughs> to sort of uh, gain entry. No, th that's not it at all. Um it I guess it's it would would be sort of the definition I'm trying to propose has this kind of negative quality where a lot of people uh, could gain entry into it, right. but it would be focusing on how a particular person uh, would would use that label that would make sense, and not this not a hypothetical person. I think would it upset you if the, would it upset you if that if the person was like, yeah, you know, yeah, day to day, what I do is I go and I work at the bank, and then uh, I I come home and I you know the wife makes dinner, and then uh, sometimes I look at porn and there's girls with glasses in it. So I think I'm kind of queer. Like, would you, <laughs> yeah. would you be like, dude, you're not queer? Or, um, I would, I would maybe suggest to them that there is a more expansive version of queerness out there that they're missing. Okay, all right, maybe. but you're not like, but you're not. So, no. so well, I guess, I guess my question. So, do you think that everyone? I mean, that's the Nirvana song. But do you think that everyone? I don't think everyone obviously isn't gay. But do you think that everyone is queer in some way? Or, or? Uh, this is yeah. This is something that I want to think um, is true. Okay. Without without taking away the power of queerness, and this, I guess this is sort of the problem. How how does it yeah. not? How does it how does it not? If everyone is queer, yeah, because everyone's each person's individual queerness would be very deeply inflected by their lived experience and and everything that they identify with. Other than that, okay, I think so. It would be a kind of universal, but also a particular. Right. Okay. If if that makes sense. Makes sense yeah. to me. Yes. Uh, yes. You, ma'am, over there. Yeah. How did your relationship evolve with Gene after you guys slept together? How did your relationship with Gene evolve after you after you after you messed around? Um, we're we're now very good friends. Uh, he's currently in Europe, and and we write emails to each other. Um, I guess after that encounter, we uh, we both we did acid together, um, and so so that helped us sort of uh, get to know each other better. <laughs> yeah. If <laughs> he's had, right. had, have, has have you done a lot of acid? Uh, <laughs> How, did, how can you tell? <laughs> no, I actually wasn't asking it. Like I wasn't like I was. I wasn't like I guess you have. I was actually curious as to whether uh, whether yeah. doing acid was like a new or new or remarkable experience for either of you. The way that the way that uh, sex between men was for him. Like I was wondering if has he done? Had he done a lot of acid? I, I pers personally have done. You have a done, lot done a lot of acid. Of acid. Yeah. So you were just like you were just like oh, I just like some more acid. And then he done a lot of acid. Uh, one of my professors is in the audience, so <laughs> let's, we can keep this out of the university. Um, All right, but. Uh, I guess. Wait, had he done a lot of acid before? He hasn't done that much acid. He has not. So you're yeah. like, so you're just like the hey, hey, come yeah. on, a, sex with a man, more to take some acid. Like you're like the, you are the uh, tour guide. I have nothing left to say. <laughs> no, it's, that's yeah. a good. That's cool. Um, okay, so all right, uh, yeah. so so that you want to know what is his friendship like? Now it is uh, email and acid is what it is. Uh, yes, yes. So if if Gene had not had this homosexual experience, had Gene split his part? been asked to give a speech about your time 
attitudes to those part. How would you orient them? Wait, how would he talk about this story if it hadn't happened? I'm not sure I understand. How would you talk about this friendship that you had if it was not? Oh, had they hung out in the park? Had they gone to the park and just like hung out in the park? Yeah. Then how would you talk about the friendship? I'm, I'm not sure I would talk about th this story anymore. Uh, I, I, think it, I think it does hinge on that, on that one tender that's moment. Sort of, that's really what makes it a story. It's not so much of a story, but just like, hey, I went to the park with this dude, and then we had no reason to stay in touch. Don't take it all away from me, Carter. Why did you, why did you, why did you ask? What made, that, what made you ask that question? I'm curious. Because the way that uh, fans spoke about intimacy, it seemed to be broader than just a sexual basis. So you thought maybe intimacy was bigger than sex, but the answer here is no. Or at least it hinges on sex. Maybe it's bigger than sex, but sex is a critical part of it. No, the way that he's talking about it. The way he's talking about it, right. So you might think that, oh, maybe you could have that queerness even without sex at all. You could just be in a, a gay man and a straight man could be in a park together and have a queer time yeah. <laughs> with, no, with no sex, with no sex at all. Um, I think it, in, just in this instance, the, the sort of crisis into queerness was hinged on a sexual encounter. Right. But it's very possible that it, sexuality may not have been a part of it. It might have been something else. Yeah. What, el what else? What else might it have been? Um, Can you imagine? My only two life experiences are sex with straight men and acid. So those, I can't imagine <laughs> anything else. <laughs> no, really. No, really. I mean, it's, it's a, so seriously, like, can you imagine something else that, that might have happened? Can you imagine something else that might have been like a... A, uh, that might have been an actual queer, queer experience that wouldn't have been... I think e even something as simple as a conversation. Right, um, so like a certain yeah. kind, what would, have made it, what would have made it a queer conversation? Just a, a sort of um, excavation of one's own repressions to some degree, and then right. and sort of uh, a, a will to work things out, you know, work on their own sort of ideal self-image. Okay, so there you go. Uh, yes, yes, you man. Uh, this is sort of a technical question. <laughs> <laughs> That's a technical question. <laughs> but thank you for like, clarifying. What, in general, would you say is different or germane about sex with straight men? What is, what is different, did you say, or germane? Or germane about, about sex with straight men? Right. Um, it's, it's kind of a thrilling, like, tabula rasa effect, where, where they, they don't, that you know that they don't really know what they're doing. Um, and so you can be the first sort of, uh, I guess, idea of, of what gay sex feels or looks like. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, try, it, try it for yourselves. <laughs> so does that, 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 that answer your question? Very well. So that if, you, if, that's, if what you want to have sex with is a blank slate, then cool. Uh, okay, good. No, that's not, okay. Uh, anything else? Any other questions? Uh, yes, you, sir. You feel bad asking. Everyone's, everyone's now prefacing their questions. So this is just a question that one feels bad about. How has Gene's life been different since the encounter? Um, I maybe don't want to stress the encounter too much as like the, the only life-changing experience, but I think it, um, it made him sort of reevaluate the sort of uh, habits and patterns of life decisions that he had been making uh, prior to the event, but also several other life events that were happening around the same time. So it's a constellation of things. So he had a lot going on, right? You said with his yeah. dad, with, was his father's alcoholism? Or yeah, his, his father's. Uh, yeah. And, and then his own drinking. Or, yeah. And so, so just a lot of stuff, kind of a flurry of stuff happening in his life, among which was this, this, first, uh, this first gay sexual experience. So, you're, so you can't, but things are different in his life afterwards? 
Yeah, he's sort of uh, re- restructuring the way he thinks about himself. Like I how? Guess. Um, t- I guess taking more responsibility right. uh, for and and be- being less hedonistic. I guess in his lifestyle, to, to put it very reductively. Okay, and yeah. you're not you're not taking total credit for this. No, no, no. <laughs> you're not no. like he's taking more responsibility in his life because of his sex with me. No. <laughs> But his sex with you was maybe part of a bundle of things that led him to take more and more responsibility in his life. Yes, maybe. if that's modest enough. Yeah. Does that does that answer your question? Has he been with other men? That's what you really want to know. I I actually don't know. I haven't heard about that part of his life um, since he uh, went to Europe. So, right. but I can find out for you. <laughs> I would like it if you guys if you guys keep in touch and follow up on that. That would. That would make me happy. I don't know. I would do for either of you. Yes, yes. Can you repeat the name of the park and sort of what the yeah, what I'm of the name of the park is? Oh, yeah, uh, so again, the name of the park. I also didn't know the name of the park, but I just tried to act cool like I did know. Oh, Gene... Uh, maybe I'm not pronouncing it. Sibelius. Gene Sibelius Park. Named after the... You are pronouncing it right. You are pronouncing it right, <laughs> says you. one of the, a member of the Sibelius family, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? Who is it, Finland's most famous composer of classical music? He worked, he's famous for Finnish nationalism. And his music's amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Finnish composer expert in the third row. And you just wrote a paper about him. And you were pro- you were, when you were writing the paper, you were probably like, I hope this comes up. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're like, how's this ever gonna serve me? But there you go. Did you know that? Did you know that he was a Finnish composer known for his nationalism? Yeah. Did you know that she just written? <laughs> but, but I'm sure I don't know as much as you do. I'm sure. Indeed. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Anything else people want to know? Any other? Any other questions? What were you like in high school? Oh my god. <laughs> um, uh, I'm. <laughs> What did, yeah. someone, did someone say? Did yeah, someone know? I, I was like the Marquis de Sade. Uh, did someone say de Sade? Is that what someone said? He was like a high school Marquis de Sade. Uh, and there's like a whole there's like a whole cluster of people nodding. It was like yes, we went to high school with him. He was most likely to be Marquis de Sade. What is that? What does that mean in your case? Well, I, I was in a gifted program in uh, in high school, and much like much like the Mar- Marquis de Sade was. So the pa- the parallels so far are uncanny. Uh, and I think I was the only student in Gifted who had been to the condom shack. So it gave me a, a real currency, I think, in my, in my school. Yeah. <laughs> so just that you'd been to the condom shack basically made you the Marquis de Sade? Was there more, was there more to it? Is there, is there, does anyone want to... Did you guys... Do you know him in high school? Just after. Just after high school. All right, so you know what he was at? Just after high school, when it's normal to be characterized as being the Marquis de Sade. <laughs> is there anything, was there anything else? Like, were you... Were you does any, what, 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 what else... What, um, I, I guess my teachers would say that I had kind of a potty mouth in high school. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, th- just that I was concerned with issues of sexuality. Okay, so, you, so even then you were just very open. You talked about those things. You went, yeah. you went to, the con- to the condom shack, <laughs> that hotbed of queer culture. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little facetious. Um. Uh, uh, okay. All right. All right. Okay. But there we go. But, 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 but there we go. That, so, so, so there, that answers that. Um, uh, anything else people would like to know? Any other questions? Yes, yes. Talked about this, your idea of friendship is a queer friendship. Like, 
Is your idea of friendship a queer, a queer idea of friendship? Kind of talking about a utopian vision where friendship is always queer. Oh, I see, a utopian vision where right. your friendship is always queer, not that friendship is always queer. Are you trying to get us a world, to a world where friendship is always queer? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Let's wrap it up there then. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Fan Wu. Thank you all so much. Trampling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by John Davies. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Trampling Hall is a sumo audio podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Sumo Audio has another podcast. It's about chips, and it's called JustChips.com. Those aren't the kinds of chips in your computer. They're the kind of chips in your mouth. Check it out. I'm Misha Globerman. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.